Radio on CQT 90.3 FM in Montreal and on www.cqt.ca on the World Wide Web. News, interviews, and music featuring the voices of prisoners, their allies, and supporters. Tune in to the Prison Radio Show on the fourth Friday of every month between 11 a.m. and noon or on the second Thursday of every month between 5 and 6 p.m. To get involved in Prison Radio or finding help searching for past programs, email prison at cqt.ca. to the Prison Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM. Today on the show, we will hear from David, a volunteer with Circles of Support and Accountability, a program run by Quakers and the Church Council on Justice and Corrections for Recently Released Prisoners. We'll also hear from Rabbis Eric Weiss and John Summer from the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center, an organization based in San Francisco, which provides spiritual care to people who are ill, dying, and bereaved. As part of their work at the center, the rabbis there run an inmate support program, which offers resources to Jewish and sometimes non-Jewish folks on the inside, in and nearby San Francisco. But first, some news. A broad call has gone out for a sustained prison strike in prisons across the United States from August 21st till September 9th, 2018. Participants are called on to participate in any, several, or all of the following manners. One, work strikes. Prisoners will not report to assigned jobs. Each place of detention will determine how long its strike will last. Some of these strikes may translate into a local list of demands designed to improve conditions and reduce harm within the prison. Two, sit-ins. In certain prisons, people will engage in peaceful sit-in protests. Three, boycotts. All spending should be halted. Those outside the walls are asked to not make financial judgments for those on the inside. People on the inside will inform you if they are participating in this boycott. Four, hunger strikes. People shall refuse to eat. The strike will raise the following 10 general demands. One, immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of imprisoned people. Two, an immediate end to prison slavery. All persons imprisoned in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. Three, 
the Prison Litigation Reform Act must be rescinded, allowing imprisoned humans a proper channel to address grievances and violations of their rights. 4. The Truth in Sentencing Act and Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No humans shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without the possibility of parole. 5. An immediate end to the racist overcharging over sentencing and parole denials of black and brown people. Black peoples shall no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime was white, which is a particular problem in southern states. 6. An immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown people. 7. No imprisoned person shall be denied access to rehabilitative programs at their place of detention because of their label as a violent offender. 8. State prisons must be funded specifically to offer more rehabilitative services. 9. Pell Grants must be reinstated in all U.S. states and territories. And 10. The voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. All voices count. The strike is being supported by the incarcerated workers and much more information about it on the Internet. According to a Globe and Mail article from July 17th, the federal government will not deport child refugee Abdul Abdi. Abdi supporters have argued that the federal government should have applied for citizenship for Abdi, who grew up in foster care in Nova Scotia and was moved between foster homes 31 times. A federal judge concluded that Ottawa did not take Abdi's charter rights into consideration and set aside a decision that would have resulted in Abdi appearing at a deportation hearing. Kevin Rashid Johnson, the Minister of Defense for the New African Black Panther Party's prison chapter, has been transferred yet again. Johnson, who has been involved in prisoner resistance since the mid-1990s, has faced numerous transfers in the last few years as punishment for speaking out on behalf of his fellow prisoners. are being asked to email David Robinson, the Chief of Corrections Operations, the Chief of Corrections Operations for the Virginia Department of Corrections. His email is david.robinson at vadoc.virginia.gov. And people are being asked to demand that no more interstate transfers happen for Kevin Johnson and that Johnson be released immediately from solitary confinement. For more information about his case, you can check out rashidmod.com. This call is from a federal prison. I remember red poppies wild behind the schoolhouse. I didn't want to be there, but I loved to watch the poppies. I used to sit in the window of my room sketching charcoal trees. What happened to those magnolias, to that girl? I went off to college, escaped my father's thunderstorms, Berkeley, rebellion, exhilaration. The Vietnam War, black power, Che took me to Chicago, midnight lights under Wacker Drive, uptown, south side lapped by self-determination for taking freedom wall photos without asking. On to California, driving at 3 o'clock in the morning in the mountains. I got it. What self-determination means? A daunting task for a young white woman. I was humbled. Practice is concrete, harder than crystal dream concepts. San Francisco on the front steps at Fulton Street, smoking reefer, drinking bitter dog with black panthers and white hippie radicals, talking about when the revolution comes. The revolution did not come. Fred Bennett was missing. We learned he'd been found, ashes, bones, a wedding ring. But later there was a sawdust freedom smile. Then I was captured, locked into a cell of sewer water, spirit deflated. I survived, carried on, 
glad to be like a weed, a wild red poppy rooted in life. That was a poem by Marilyn Buck, read by her over the phone from prison. Marilyn Buck was a revolutionary anti-imperialist political prisoner who died in 2010. An audio compilation of her poetry has been re-released by the people at the Freedom Archives. That one was called Wild Poppies. Up next, we have an interview with David, a volunteer with Circles of Support and Accountability, or COZA, a program for recently released prisoners run by the Quaker's Friends Service Committee, in partnership with the Church Council on Justice and Corrections. David discusses his experience as a volunteer with COZA. He also draws connections between the Circles of Support and Accountability program and Quaker-led movements for penal abolition. Here are excerpts from the conversation for the Prison Radio Show. First, I'll ask you to introduce yourself. Who are you? And tell me a bit about your role with this program called the Circles of Support and Accountability. So I'm David Summerhays. Um, I moved to Montreal from Chicago in 2011. Yeah, so anyway, that's just a bit about me. I'm clerk of the Justice Committee for the Quakers in Canada, the Canadian Friends Service Committee. And I've also been a volunteer with the Circles of Support and Accountability since 2011. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Circles of Support and Accountability? Like, what is the program? Who is it for? So Circles was, um, from what I understand, it was started when um, there was a sex offender that was released from prison in Ontario. And um, the town was really upset that he was being moved into their, their city. And so there were a bunch of chaplains that kind of said, we're gonna support this guy because there wasn't much um, and there still isn't as much as we'd like. Um, and so they uh, sort of met with the guy pretty frequently um, sort of saying, okay, well here's where you buy groceries and we'll help you find a job and, and things like that. And they kind of realized this really actually works. Like this is really powerful. Um, so, so from what I understand, it was spread across Canada and even in parts of the US. Um, and so that's kind of the idea. They kind of, um, the, what, the way I've been doing it is we meet, uh, we're sort of assigned to a released prisoner, often sex offender, in my case, all three pedophiles. Um, and we meet them and we're like, okay. Uh, and so we meet about, it's a little more when they're first released. Uh, it's like, uh, it can be more, but often it's about once a week. And it's, we're just volunteers, like we're not experts in anything in particular uh, but we um, we're there's a social worker there or like a chaplain so we're not it's not just volunteers there is a bit of a professional presence but I mean it's it's um, often pretty informal it's really just how's your week what are you thinking about but we talk about us too um, not like great detail but just you know um, I'm struggling with this or I'm gardening in the backyard and I have more um, dandelions and I have tomatoes, you know, that kind of gossip. Um, but I mean, it teaches them to listen too. I, uh, it's really just building a kind of friendly tie. That's the way we talk about it is, it's about having a friendly tie with these folks. It's not that we're friends, we volunteer there, but we're friendly. And, um, 
and just um, believing that having having those kinds of connections makes a difference. And the funny thing is, it does. Um, I mean, it seems kind of basic, but for them, they've been surrounded by people that are paid to be there for them for ever since they were in prison. They haven't seen they've seen very few volunteers, or you know, here and there. Um, and it's so meaningful. Like no matter what people did or who they are. Um, the fact that someone for free is for nothing is like, hey, I'll take some time out of my day and hang out with you for a couple of hours and let's chit chat and let's try to get you back on track. They're like blown away. Um, they're, they're, my experience anyway has been that they're very, very grateful for our time. And it's like one would bring cheese or just something to eat pretty much every time to share with everybody. Um, you know, uh, and others would say thank you in other ways. So like it's not like it's utopian or perfect they're like convicted criminals but um i've really just had a, a really just just fine experience you know like i can't think of any problems or conflicts um it's been it's been uh really nice actually in fact i started when i first moved to to montreal and um, I figured, oh, I'll help them. And they helped me, really. I mean, we helped each other. It was just like I had just moved here and they had just been released from prison. And like, uh, it was nice. Yeah, so I've, I've really met like really nice people. I, I think the hardest thing about it sometimes is um, just like sometimes they go back to prison. They, they have a breach of condition or they, you know, something comes up and uh, I miss them. It's like, oh, <laughs> or it's really disappointing. It's like, wow, we put in all this work and we tried so hard and boom, like they're just gone. Um, so honestly, that's like, that's the, that's a tricky part about it. It sounds like there's a, there is a lot of support. And so I, now I feel like I should ask a question about like accountability because it's called the circles of support and accountability. Do you want to say some things about like how accountability plays into your your meetings yeah accountability is important too i think the guy i've been working with the most lately it's not really his problem it's not like the thing we need to be on top of him for um he's like what i did sucked and i had a fucked up attitude and i needed to correct it and it i am much better and like he's basically like i need your help so just tell me if you see anything and he's super grateful so you know, it doesn't feel like a big thing that we're doing, um, but it, it's in little ways like, um, you know, just encouraging him to like listen more or like we talk and be like, mm, quiet, like, why don't you just listen to what we have to say and then we'll let you talk. Um, so it for, with him lately, you know, it's it's not a big part of what we do, but there were I worked with a couple of guys. One had quite a bit of misogyny, like he wasn't disrespectful. Um, disrespectful to anyone in the room and he had a very like polite way of presenting his misogyny but it was there and uh, you know he sees professional folks from the Correction Service of Canada about these things so we didn't feel like we have to like solve this problem or anything but um, it's it's usually pretty gen it's often pretty gentle or just being like I don't I don't agree with that you know and that's enough just kind of like so that that's an example. It's just kind of saying, like, I respect what you're saying. And I just think that's not true. And I hope you see things another way. But that's my opinion, you know. So it's like really gentle. Um, 
often just changing the subject and being like, whatever, <laughs> you know, it sends a little subtle message. And I think they kind of like, they get the message, they know how we feel and they're like, okay, well. Um, so, I mean, that's one example. Another was the guy was kind of um, just like getting in conflict with his parole officer and that's um, bad news for him. So um, it would be like, um, it would just be like presenting another point of view or or saying like, well, what about this person? Like, what about their feelings? Like, does that matter? You know, it'd be stuff like that. So just asking questions. But we're not professionals, you know? Uh, I think we just tried to do our best and just be honest with how we were feeling or what we were thinking about what the guy was saying, um, if you wanted to hear it, and we um, usually did. So I don't know. Um, the accountability is, I would say it's subtle, uh, often fairly subtle. Uh, but it's it's an important part of what we do. I I do think it's um, like uh, we do. I feel like we do more support than accountability, and I think that when people are happy and they have friendly people in their lives, they need less accountability. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. Thanks for sharing all these stories, especially like all of the kind of like emotional challenges. Maybe you could say some more things about like the logistics, like how is the program run, who runs it, I don't know, how often you meet, maybe maybe things along those lines. Uh, I'm a little vague on that because I volunteered with two organizations that work a little differently. That's why I'm kind of being general. But um, yeah, we uh, in both of them, we, uh, we meet in an office once a week. Uh, and then as they're kind of weaning off the correction service and us it becomes less and less frequent so there's a guy we meet with him once a month he doesn't need us anymore really but um he's just like listen let me just keep everything in place and let's go slow there's no rush so anyway so it's but other guys it's about once a week uh it's voluntary um that's really important for the program it's not imposed as a condition we refuse to work with anyone for whom it's imposed um uh, it's usually about an hour, and we're usually, I think, three volunteers and like a social worker chaplain. Um, before we start, we receive a training about, you know, well, how a correction service works, but also about sex offense and percentages of this and that and the other thing, um, about our safety and just looking out for manipulation and, and things like that. I, I think it's good to have that preparation, although I've really felt that it wasn't very necessary. Like, I didn't draw on it a lot. Um, but it's good to be prepared and to think through different situations. Uh, so yeah, so there's training and then there's regular training. Um, they also have discussion groups about how the circles are going, which is good. So sort of, um, it's good to check in with everyone and just be like, without the, the core, we call the offender the core member, without the core member there. Um, that's, I can't think of a whole lot else about logistics. Um, do you want to talk a bit about uh, the role of Quakers, like how this program of uh, circles of support and accountability, how it fits in with the, the, the mandate of the, of the Quakers or of the Friends Service Committee? Yeah, sure. So Quakers in the 17th century were jailed for our beliefs. I mean, so we've, uh, Quakers have been hanged in North America by Puritans and stuff like that. So uh, for us, like we've, it's been a while, but we've been there. And uh, a lot of Quaker structures began as supporting people who were in prison, really. Um, so 
So it's a, it's a, it's part of our history. Also, I think, as I recall, I think you know, I'm not, I'm not Christian. Not all Quakers are Christian, but I think Jesus explicitly mentions prisoners as people we should hold in our prayers and, and lift up and things like that. Um, so it's, it's been a part of a Quaker mandate for a long time. Uh, just a part of our faith, really. And um, um, and then there were some folks who were Quakers who were super involved in founding the prison abolition movement. Uh, I think they founded ICOPA, the International something. The International Conference on Penal Abolition. Penal yeah. Abolition, yeah. thank you. Co-founded by Ruth Morris. Yeah. yeah. Quaker superstar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's that. And so we have a mandate to... Uh, uh, promote penal abolition, so abolishing the punitive mindset. These days, we have a we have a mandate. We're looking at um, children of incarcerated parents. That's the focus of our work. Is thinking about the ways uh, judges will just kind of say, "Yeah, all right, so you did this, so this is your punishment." And it's like, well, what about the kids? It's like, doesn't this matter? Like, and and the way children are punished for what parents have done, which is wrong. Um, and and it also is can be part and is part of systemic racism in the sense of uh, uh, intergenerational impacts of you know um, it just kind of keeps the intergenerational train rolling uh, so that's a lot of the work we do but um, the the link with Quakers and Coza is that there's a group called CCJC and like freaking Canada it's so alphabet soup church. Yeah, thank you. Justice and corrections. Yeah, that's it. Them and the NAACJ, which is the National Association's Active in Criminal Justice. That one I know. Um, so we're members on both, and we're just we help fund them, and we um, have like our staff person is a member on them, and so we do work that keeps these folks rolling. Particularly with CCJC, they um, they're smaller, so like every member who's like we're there. Um, uh, it, it makes it makes a big difference. So I mean, we can't take like credit for COSA or anything, but we're part of CCJC was a big player in making COSA happen and uh, doing the doing the study uh, recently under the which completed under the Harper government that showed something insane like uh, over I think eighty five percent reduction in recidivism for folks that are involved in COSA, which is like unbelievable. Um, that's very very strong. Um, clearly uh, evidence-based at this point um, for like the cost of I don't know three pizzas one staff person and like you know like volunteer hours from people that like to do this kind of thing I don't know like it's it's really an amazing program for that um, and the other thing that's really cool about it is um, it it's just like it's really empowering it's it's not that we at COSA single-handedly create this reduction in recidivism is that we're working with the psychologists in the program and they have programming for sex offense and things like that you know I think I think they do a good job um, and so together we have but but having COSA in that mix makes a huge difference um, so it's clearly a, a program that works and um, so there are, there are COSAs across Canada at this point I don't I don't remember how many offices but so CCJC was for a while running COSA at the national level, federal level, I should say, and and then part of the study that 
made it happen. And yeah, so we've been, uh, Quakers have been there all the way helping it happen. So it's fun. I've been involved at the very, very basement level and then pretty high policy level, although not me directly. I didn't represent on CCJC, but that's our, that's our connection with it. That was David, a volunteer with Circles of Support and Accountability. For more information about the prison justice work led by Quakers, visit quakerservice.ca. For more information on how folks can support recently released prisoners through programs similar to Circles of Support and Accountability, he recommended checking our local organization, Communitis, for open door circles on Tuesday evenings, CSRQ for Francophone Circles, and CSJR for offender survivor meetings. Links to these groups will be posted on our blog, prisonradioshow.wordpress.com. Up next, we're going to share another poem with you from the Freedom Archives compilation of Marilyn Buck's poetry. This one is called One Hour Yard Poem, and it is read by Dennis Brutus. I'm glad to read this poem as an expression of solidarity with her in prison as a political prisoner. I was a political prisoner myself in South Africa in opposition to the racism there with people like Nelson Mandela. And of course, I've supported political prisoners in other parts of the world. Here's the poem, One Hour Yard Poem. I step from suffocating stillness, from dank cells and dead air out, fleeting green trespasses, forbidding walls teases my senses, taunts prisons sucking yellow mouth. I am a pale shadow genie released from my cell for one hour. I unwind to receive the coquettish day. I dance under the blue-washed sky. High, thick-bodied walls cast aspersions, challenge the sun. Concertina wire grins razor sharp. Birds dance between the teeth. Dandelions dig under, send feathery envoys into the breeze. Defiant flora gains ground, subversive. A lone caterpillar inches across concrete wasteland. Careful, I let it pass. What pleasure watching caterpillar travel forward while I walk in circles an hour in the sun. That was Dennis Brutus reading a poem by Marilyn Buck. Today we've been sharing with you poetry from the collection Wild Poppies, which is available with the Freedom Archives project online at freedomarchives.org. It is currently 11.27 in the morning. You're listening to the Prison Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM, 91.7 on cable, and online at ckut.ca. Next up, we'll hear an interview that the Prison Radio Show did with Rabbi Eric Weiss and John Summer of the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center. 
The Bay Area Jewish Healing Center is an organization that provides support, spiritual and otherwise, to people who are ill, dying, and bereaved. As part of the work that they do at the center, the rabbis also offer an inmate support program, providing resources, spirituality, logistically, and otherwise, to Jewish and occasionally non-Jewish inmates who are incarcerated in San Francisco and the surrounding areas. Rabbi Weiss and Summer spoke to the prison radio show about their work with the Inmate Support Program, some of their experience doing what is sometimes referred to as chaplaincy, work in prisons, and they also shared some Jewish perspectives on incarceration. I'm Rabbi Eric Weiss, and I am the CEO and president of the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center. The Healing Center is based in San Francisco, although it serves the five counties on the western side of the San Francisco Bay Area, so that encompasses Sonoma County, Marin County, the city and county of San Francisco itself, and then geographically what is the northern tip of San Mateo County. And we provide Jewish spiritual care to folks who are ill, dying, and bereaved. And my name is uh, John Summer. I'm one of the four rabbis here at the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center. And uh, each of us, in our own way, uh, works with folks who are in the uh, county jails. And I also personally have some experience working with the CDCR, which which is the California Department of uh, Corrections and sometimes rehabilitation. And I should probably add that I, many years ago, was a volunteer rabbi for the Jewish inmates at a California state prison in Vacaville. Thank you so much to both of you for, for agreeing to do this interview. And um, can you, you sort of already started to, to talk a little bit about the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center, but can one or both of you just elaborate a bit more as to the work that the center does? Sure. So our mission is a pretty narrow mission, but with a very deep furrow. So again, we provide Jewish spiritual care to folks who are sick, to folks who are coming to the end of life, and to folks who are in grief. Mm -hmm. So one of the assumptions we have is that these are universal human experiences. In other words, no matter who you are, everybody gets sick. Everybody comes to the last breath, and everybody comes to folding grief into their lives. And our uh, assumption is that these universal human experiences naturally stimulate spiritual reflection and also reasonably yearn for a communal response. So our work takes us to wherever the bedside is, a hospital, a home, a hospice, any kind of a clinical setting, including um, the variety of of elder care settings. And folks come into our office here as well. And our work encompasses um, some thought leadership. And so we have generalized programs that we do for the community as well, everything from educational opportunities all the way through to larger programmatic endeavors like grief groups and and a Jewish um, hospice volunteer program that we that we have. That's definitely a lot of services with 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 a narrow focus, as you said. But that's uh, sort of comprehensive and narrow at the same time. It sounds like. Can you talk, yes. Can you talk a little bit about the inmate support program specifically, and maybe how it came about, or what it's how it fits in with the other work that the center does? 
Sure. Um, maybe I'll just give a general overview and then um, Rabbi Summer can jump in and talk more specifically. But we very much take seriously that illness, dying, and grief are universal human experiences. And so that means that we want our services to be available to wherever the person is, no matter who they are. So so we make a deliberate attempt to be available to people that society might consider mainstream and well-situated all the way through to people that might be considered on the margins. And for us, because these issues are universal and because they are naturally human in their spiritual reflection, and because then we, representing the community, take seriously the communal response, we um, are receptive and responsive, and in some cases search out where people are that would be recipients of our service. So in that same context, we consider people who are incarcerated to be equally worthy of our services when they come to the experience of illness, their last breath, and grief. So that's the overall mission philosophy about how the mission gets operationalized in this particular sector. And, and John can talk a little bit more directly about sort of how that works. Well, as an agency, we've been around for, what, Eric, 20 years or so? 1992. I've uh, been here since 1992. So I think the origins of, of um, how we got started working with the San Francisco, San Francisco County Jails is, is lost a bit in the midst of time. But I think we were contacted by the Spiritual Care Department for the San Francisco County Jails, asking if we were available to serve some of the needs of, of Jewish inmates and uh, perhaps others who were also requesting uh, information and services from, from the Jewish community or, or from rabbis. So uh, from there it took off, and so what usually happens is we'll get a call, call from uh, the Spiritual Services Department, and usually it's a forward of a request from someone who, who is in one of the jails wanting to speak with us or speak with a rabbi or having a, a Jewish question. Mm-hmm. And, and then we'll, we'll go in and um, meet with that person and spend some time with them and try and address whatever, whatever may be going on. I think also it might be important just to say in a general way that we all, I think we all know that there are some elements of life experience that can be stigmatizing to society in general or in society in general to the individual or to the group. And so one of those is incarceration. And we, as a matter of routine, can get a phone call from a loved one who tells us that um, they have a loved one who is incarcerated in the state prison system or in the city county jail. And so sometimes the request doesn't come from within the jail system itself, it comes from without, mm-hmm. um, which is its own then challenge for how to, how to provide service. But in terms of how we find out where somebody is to be of service, sometimes it comes from a family member who calls us in a discreet way to let us know that a loved one or a friend is, is an inmate in, um, in one of the jails, whether it's a, county, a city and county jail in our area or a state prison. We, we have gotten requests for our federal jail system, but, but usually not. Usually 
our requests are within the context of the city and county jail system or the state system. And then in terms of responding to those requests in your roles as rabbis specifically, what, what does that usually look like? Uh, your terms, in terms of kind of practical details like driving out to the jail and trying to get through security or you're uh, talking about the one-on-one session we may have with the person who's inside. I was thinking more of the one-on-one session, but if there's stuff that comes up particularly in terms of the logistical details that you want to that you want to note as well, that's that's totally fine. Yeah. Well, we'll put the logistics aside for a moment. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, meeting with with a, with a, usually it's always a guy, though we we've every once in a while have had uh, a woman who's incarcerated. But usually meeting with with one of the folks inside, it's it's highly variable. Mm. So sometimes it's a material request. So uh, along the lines of, uh, I would like to uh, have a a Torah, uh, or I would like to have a prayer book, and and then we'll help uh, procure that uh, for them. Mm. Sometimes it's a request it can be from a Jewish inmate or uh, uh, or somebody who's inside who's not Jewish, uh, wanting to learn more about the tradition. And I think very much what we see in in jails, and you see it in the prison system as well, is while they're inside, they're they're searching. Uh, and very often, what I find is that they're looking for something more absolutist. You know what particularly if you're talking within a religious context and if they come from a, a Western religious tradition what is the ultimate source of truth and very often what they'll do is they'll look back to the the ancient Jewish sources the Hebrew sources and want to investigate that and, and see you know uh, what merits it has but also where it might tie into their their own either Jewish or sometimes even Christian beliefs. Mm. You know, how is it the basis of, of what their practice has been and is it something that they want to turn to more, more deeply as they uh, reflect on their religious experience while in, in jail? And what are some of the issues, in addition to sort of the ones you've named, but maybe what are some uh, specific issues or some some barriers or some challenges that you find that uh, Jewish inmates in particular face in jail or in prison? I think for Jewish inmates, uh, it's getting staff uh, a lot of times to uh, understand their religious needs. So, for example, one issue that I've frequently seen and Jewish inmates often encounter is uh, the wearing of a yarmulke, the Jewish head covering. And I remember when I was at working for the uh, state prison that uh, there was some question as to whether wearing a kippah, which is another name for that head covering, was a security issue because for some reason the control officers felt that uh, something could be hidden under uh, a yarmulke, that head covering. And of course, you know, things can be hidden almost anywhere in your shoe, in your shirt, uh, and it's a very simple matter to take off your, your head covering and, and show control officer whether there's something in there or not. So sometimes I felt that that was a uh, justification on the part of control officers to uh, have inmates conform to what the control officers felt was 
they were more comfortable with, and that is no individuality, whether that was personal individuality or religious individuality. And so sometimes it's a fight with, with staff, or at least a discussion with staff, to let them know about the importance uh, for some Jewish guys inside to uh, wear that and what it means in the context of the, of the Jewish tradition. And uh, very often after, after uh, some back and forth, they would relent. But very often I, 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 saw, I, I saw it as a, um, a, a way of diminishing somebody's sense of, of individuality totally. and, ex- and self-expression. And I guess in terms of, yeah, just kind of continuing on these on this same line of, uh, of thinking, can you um, maybe talk a little bit about just whatever, I mean, I don't think we have time to go into all, of, all that one can say about Judaism's views on prison and, and uh, incarceration, but are there specific things that, that you think of when doing your work or, or particular, particular Jewish values or principles that, that sort of inform how you approach working with inmates? Uh, I, I think the notion of dignity within the Jewish tradition is extremely important. And what you see inside is inmates being robbed of that sense of dignity in a variety of different ways. It's robbed through the environment, the physical environment. It's robbed by the nature of uh, the power relationships. It's taken away from guys who are inside through uh, deliberate acts of, of, I think, of demeaning. And in Judaism, uh, human dignity is uh, of priority. We, we say in the Jewish tradition that we are created B'Tselem Elohim, that is, in the image of God. And when you destroy a person, you are similarly destroying something or somebody that is created in that divine image. So trying to, going in as rabbis, we try to find ways to help people, if we can, maintain that sense of dignity. And that's very, very difficult in that kind of environment. And sometimes guys inside are so used to being oppressed that to try and help instill it or reinstill it is a very difficult task and you see it in in oftentimes in their demeanor very few of them who after an extended period of time still seem to be able to hold their head up uh, with full human dignity so that's that's one jewish concept that i rabbis go in with, I, I go in with. And in terms of, I mean, another, I guess, another very strong value or, or very important part of Judaism is the idea of justice and, and sort of pursuing justice. And so can you maybe talk a little bit about that as it relates to your your work in prisons or even just like the your understanding of the idea of prison in and of itself? Well, certainly the idea of uh, extended incarceration and even prisons themselves have a very tentative place in the Jewish tradition. Uh, If you go back to the oldest sources, particularly the biblical texts, the the prisons that existed were not Jewish prisons, but were, let's say, secular prisons or prisons that were held by the king or, or, or the state and were often used to the disadvantage of uh, Jewish 
characters in, in the Bible, Joseph, namely, others as well. Uh, so already starting at our earliest sources, there there is this this kind of bias against the idea of incarceration. Uh, as it exists in Judaism itself, there was a concept or is a concept of uh, a mishmar, which was temporary incarceration, but there is in Judaism no idea or concept of long-term extended incarceration, particularly as it, as it exists today. And, and then in later Jewish sources, if you look at, for example, the Talmud, which is a large body of Jewish law and, and commentary, there are some isolated references to incarceration or prison. Uh, the rabbis do discuss its merits, and usually it's very tentative and used in very, or let's say condoned, in the strictest and narrowest of circumstances. So in Judaism, there's a long history that uh, uh, of not really regarding incarceration as as a meaningful or important part of of the tradition. In fact, in regard to someone in the community who commits a transgression or a crime, uh, usually the prescription is uh, a monetary penalty or a, a fine or some kind of way of remuneration or, or working it off to pay back the individual in the community. So in, in incarceration really is outside the, the zeitgeist, you might say, of, of, the tradition, of the tradition. I would really just add to what, what Rabbi Summer was saying is that another component is that in English we use this word justice and I think in the whole of North America, for example, it takes on a very deep and broad connotation in lots and lots of different contexts. But in Hebrew, the word for justice is a little different. And like with every language that reflects core values, you can be challenged in how the words get translated. So in, in Hebrew, in a Jewish context, the word for justice is a word that is pronounced sadaka. So you might think of it as being written as in English as T-Z-E-D-A-K-A-H, sadaka. And the root of sadaka is righteousness. And so in Jewish life, sadaka has a couple of other connotations. And in the Jewish community itself, that's the word that's used for philanthropic endeavors and sometimes gets a bit erroneously translated as charity, but the other connotation at its deeper level for that same word is righteousness. And the connotation is that there are ways in which one acts righteously on behalf of oneself and one's relationship to loved ones, God, and the community. And so part of what I think becomes important from a Jewish perspective is what is this notion of justice slash tzedakah, righteousness, in the context of incarceration. And in some ways, when, when I've done work with people who are incarcerated, part of what informs me is what's the zone of righteousness at work in this particular situation with this particular person? So sometimes it gets translated as the person's demand that they be treated in a particular way as a matter of a sense of righteousness, which can adhere. But in some ways, 
almost more importantly, is the obligation that all of us behave ourselves righteously toward others. And so just kind of sowing a little bit of that to what, what John said, there is this notion that one must act righteously even if one has made a mistake and that correcting a mistake, so to speak, is an obligation. And so other other maybe secular societies may move into the realm of what might be considered restorative justice, which is a phrase that is used in the United States. I'm not quite sure what the Canadian equivalent would be, but the Jewish notion is that when you make a mistake, there's inherent understanding that whatever the, in quotes, punishment is, a core part of that punishment, by definition, includes return to community and return to community more whole, as in W-H-O-L-E, return to community more deliberately, more broadly, more deeply. So it might be a little bit of a countercultural notion from the U.S. or what exists in Canada, but the notion is that when you make a mistake, your rectification of that mistake, by definition, must include not just a full and complete return to community, but a deeper and broader return to community because it's a personal and communal expression of the value of righteousness, of what it is to exercise sadaqah in your personhood and in your relationship to the community at large. The uh, Hebrew term for returning uh, is teshuvah. And that's very commonly used, that concept is very commonly used and held up not only in the tradition, but especially during the Jewish high holidays, mm-hmm. Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which is when we particularly focus on this idea of uh, returning, returning to wholeness, uh, returning to our whole selves, and returning to the community whole again. And I can imagine that sort of approaching approaching the work with with all of that in mind just is, I'm sure, uh, invaluable for for those folks who are incarcerated, who are Jewish, and just sort of you know being able to to get support from you and and other rabbis doing similar work with those those aspects of Jewish ways of thinking and Jewish ways of being in mm-hmm. mind. Yeah, correct, correct. In terms of the broader idea of justice, perhaps from a a state perspective, there is the concept which is often misinterpreted of uh, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. The Latin term for that is the lex talionis, the law of retaliation. And I say it's misunderstood because people often think of it as a very harsh concept, but as it was conceived of by the rabbis who of the Jewish tradition who interpreted the Bible, it was seen as a way of making sure that whatever punishment was issued, that it, it did not in any way exceed the, the damage caused by the crime. Mm-hmm. So it was meant to limit. Mm-hmm. It wasn't meant to exact the same kind of revenge. Uh, the antecedents for, for, for eye for an eye are found in, in earlier sources, right. uh, Babylonian, for example. But, but uh, for the rabbis, the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth concept was supposed to be the absolute outside limit mm-hmm. of uh, what you would exact from somebody who might be punished. 
and again, ideally, uh, a fine or some kind of remuneration for whatever damage may have been caused or what may have been taken or stolen should uh, should be uh, levied. Yeah, I think that's, thanks for, for expanding on that a bit, because I, I think it's true that people often misinterpret the idea of that or take a, a sort of very mainstreamed, and I would uh, venture to say a Christianified version of that concept. Well, I have to say, every time I see it as a bumper sticker, particularly when it reads, if, you know, uh, if we practice an eye for an eye for a tooth, for a tooth, the whole world would be blind and toothless. I want to rip it off the back of the car. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add before we wrap up? No, I think we had quite a, I think, I think we had a reflective conversation that was, uh, I hope, enriching. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah, I will only, only add that I, that because, well, first of all, already, as we've talked about, prisons are, are really, as a concept, and as they exist, so outside Jewish thinking and the Jewish tradition that there is another element of incarceration that is also an anathema to, to Judaism, and that is the, the sense of isolation that uh, takes place. Uh, so much of what is part of Judaism is, is, is communal, and so much of that process of teshuvah that Eric talked about is done in community and supported by community and sometimes can only take place in community that putting somebody in uh, an isolating structure like prison is contravenes Jewish thought and practice. In fact, if you look at our very earliest source, which is Genesis and the story of Adam being created and, and God says, you know, it is not good for a person or in the text, a man, but a person to be alone, which is the very fundament of, of the tradition. And then you can see that, uh, you know, prisons are an absolute violation of a, a central tenet of, of, of the faith. Totally. Thank you for that. And thank you so much to both of you for, for talking to me today. Um, it was really, really great to hear your perspective on, on the work that you do and also just and just hear about the work. It's, uh, it's really good to know that there's a program like what you do there and that there's something like the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center that exists. That was Rabbis Eric Weiss and John Summer from the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center in San Francisco, speaking about some of the work they do there as part of the Inmate Support Program. You can find out more about the work that the Bay Area Jewish Healing Center does at jewishhealingcenter.org. Yeah, it is currently 11.54.30. Okay, Uh, you are listening to the Prison Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM, 91.7 on cable, and online at www.ckut.ca. the road where death is celebrated 
by old Jim Crow. Jim may be Bush, or maybe some Houston judge, but we keep on trying to throw their bloody noose into history's sludge. can cover up your racist murder madness killers killers no one can justify murder of a man railroaded gagged and tied With a mighty roar, let justice erupt. Stop the Jim Crow killers who smirked while Shaka died. was another piece from the Freedom Archives compilation of Marilyn Buck's poetry. The compilation is called Wild Poppies. That piece was called Blues for Shaka, and it's about Jim Crow segregation in the U.S. South. To check out the entire collection and to learn more about Marilyn Buck, you can visit freedomarchives.org. Check out past episodes of the Prison Radio Show at prisonradioshow.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prison Radio Show. The Prison Radio Show airs twice a month on CKUT. We're on the air on the second Thursday of the month at 5 p.m. and on the fourth Friday at 11 a.m. The next Prison Radio Show will air on Thursday, August 9th at 5 p.m. It'll be our special Prisoner's Justice Day show. If you have any questions on anything that you have heard on today's show or if you wish to be involved with the show, feel free to contact us at prison at ckut.ca. Formerly incarcerated people are encouraged to participate. Folks can also leave a message on our listener comment line at 514-448-4041, extension 2547. If you are in prison, we encourage you to participate in the show in any way possible. Feel free to write us at The Prison Radio Show or simply write PRS, care of CKUT, 3647 University Street, Montreal, Quebec, H3A2B3. This has been the Prison Radio Show on CKUT. Thank you so much for tuning in. Butcher T is up next. We have a fully pre-recorded show for him today. And we hope you have a great Friday.
Afternoon, you're tuned to Butcher T's Noon Time Cuts, hitting every Friday from noon to two, playing your wide variety of music just to make your afternoon delight just right. So stay locked into CKT 90.3 FM. <laughs> <laughs> 